In James chapter 4 and verse 7, we mention that, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's power in submission. There's power in yielding to God. And if we are ever submitted to God's authority, the enemy is nervous. The enemy is afraid because when we submit to God, the Bible says we now can resist the devil. And the devil, he's not going to slowly back down. The Bible says he will flee from us. He's afraid of authority because he was one under authority, with authority, but then he tried to usurp authority and overstep his bounds, and he was cast out as quick as lightning was. And that's how fast you can cast out the devil if you're in the right place of authority. And that's the power God wants the church to have, where the gates of hell does not prevail against the church. That's a promise. It's going to be that way as long as we stay in our authority. We are yielded to God. And so the devil does everything he can to buck inside of us, you know, a resistance to authority, a resistance to God's authority. And we mentioned that there are two aspects of yielding that we are going to address. Last week was yielding to God. And to yield uh, to God, you have to know the Word of God. You have to know the voice of God. If you do not know the Word of God, if you do not know the voice of God, it's impossible to yield to God. You can yield to the spirit world, but you can tap into the wrong spirit because you don't know the word of God and you don't know the voice of God. This is why we must be people of the word. And when we talk about yielding to God, obedience is the measure of your submission. You have to be an obedient person. We could say all we want about how yielded or submitted we are to God, but obedience is the measurement of submission. And if it's in God's word, then it should be in your walk. It should be in your life. If it's not in your life, if it's not in your daily walk, then you have a situation that needs to be addressed. And the word, the Bible, is the mirror showing your true reflection. You can look at it. You can compare yourself to whatever you want. You can look to wherever you want. But if you are not looking into the mirror of God's word, as it says in James chapter 1, the mirror of God's word is going to show you your true reflection. And this is why most people walk or avoid the mirror or walk away from the mirror completely. Because when you open this book and you take a look, an honest look, and you look at yourself and you look in this book, you will see your true reflection. Because it says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints of the marrow, discern of thoughts, intents of the heart. It gets right down to the depths of really what is inside of all of us. And we really don't like to find out what's inside of us sometimes. But today, uh, we are going to talk about yielding to man. Because it is easy to betray a yielded spirit when you're yielded to something invisible. But God chose to prove our yielding and our submission through something visible. God always uses, we've mentioned this throughout this entire series, you, you, God would most commonly use the natural to help us to understand the spiritual. He would use the visible to understand the invisible. And so as we talk about yielding to God, it's a little easier for us to maybe assume that we are yielded to God because it is invisible and God in his mercy and grace doesn't wipe us out for every act of disobedience. And so we can portray a yielded life to an invisible deity. But God places the visible, the man of God in your life to find out really where you are at in the realm of yielding to God is found out through yielding to the man of God. So we look at John fourteen fifteen. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Let me just say this. Yielding and submission is not easy. Uh, talking about yielding to God, yielding to, you know, the Spirit of God, it's not always easy. But this part, this aspect that we talk about today is perhaps even more difficult. Because submitting to a perfect, holy God is understandable. But submitting and yielding to an imperfect being is unfathomable. It, 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 it makes sense to yield to a perfect God, to submit yourself to the Spirit of God. 
But when God places the visible in front of you, the man of God is spiritual authority. It's not always so easy to yield to the visible that you know the imperfections of that visible. But Jesus said this principle, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's literal, but there's a principle here. We go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 through 21, the same writer. He says, if we love him, or we love him because he first loved us. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's what we're talking about, yielding to God. We, we look into the word of God, the mirror of God's word, and you find your measure of love by your measure of obedience. You find your measure of yielding by your measure of obedience to Jesus Christ. But then in 1 John four nineteen, it says, we love him because he first loved us. There's the easy part. I can love Jesus because he loved me. No greater love has any man than this than a man would lay down his life for his friends, you know, and he called his friends. I love Jesus. Anyone love Jesus? I love him. So we don't have a problem loving the invisible. Not that there's not difficult moments where things happen in the natural that make it difficult to love the, 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 the invisible, but we have more often than not a problem obeying the visible. First John 4.20, he goes on to say, If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother who he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. This is how, see, Jesus always will use the natural element to help us understand where we're at in the spirit world. And so he says, you could tell me you love me all that you want, but are you keeping my commandments? And you, could, you can actually keep all the external commands, but who's going to measure the internal and that's why he ups the scale a little bit. And just like, you know, the, the Pharisees found a loophole, and, and they found this way to make everything look good, but inwardly they were full of dead men's bones. They were whited sepulchers. And so Jesus says, uh, you know, some people think that the grace period is this easier era to live in, but it's actually a higher degree of accountability. He says, you know, the physical act of adultery is wrong, but I'm telling you the, just to look upon someone with your eyes and lust after them in your mind and in your heart, that is the equivalent of adultery and that will take you to hell. Jesus said that. And so he says, you can say you love God all you want, but do you love your brother? Do you love the physical? Do you love that which you can see that is imperfect? Do you love that that has hurt you the same way that I love that same person that hurt me. That same person crucified me, but I love them anyway. That same person denied me, but I still love them anyway. Do you love them like you claim to love me? So God put this in motion for us to understand some things. And so we look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7, because we commonly have this problem with the invisible authority placed by an invisible authority. And some may think this to be some Old Testament concept that no longer applies to the New Testament church. But Jesus had made sure that it would be forever settled in his word in Hebrews thirteen seven, as he speaks through the writer. And the writer says, remember them which have the rule over you. Oh, I forgot about that. That's why he says, remember, because we have the ability to forget this thing called spiritual authority. And so we know the invisible, but do we know the visible authority in our lives? So it says, this individual has spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. And so follow means there's got to be someone to lead. And so there is in God's kingdom, in God's church, someone leading the way for us spiritually to follow. And we must remember to obey their faith and follow as long as they are in the faith. Now, when they go outside of the faith, I hopefully I don't have to, you know, pre-qualify everything I state, but you understand when someone goes outside the faith, outside the doctrine, outside of the truth, and you need to run a million miles the other direction because we don't want to go the way of error. But when they are in the faith, you got to follow that person God has placed in your life. He goes on to say one more time in verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you. And this God-awful word we can't stand, submit yourself. Submit yourself to them. Yield to them. Why? Because they watch for your soul. 
that they may give an account, that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. Submission, I submit to you, is not easy. But think about this, neither is leading. Following is not easy, but leading isn't easy either because leaders have to give an account, and it isn't always joyful. Leading isn't always the most joyful business to be a part of. You know, everyone wants to be the one that gets to make all the shots and make all the calls and make all the decisions, but there's a price that comes with making decisions and leading people, and God will test our yielding through a man or through a person. And if you can't submit to what you can see, how can you submit to that which you cannot see? That is the principle God set in his word by the person who knew love better than anyone else, John, the beloved, the one who loved Jesus. And Jesus, you know, he loved Jesus in the the, the visible, but he went on to love him in the invisible as well. And God spoke to him and says, look, if you can't love the visible, there's no way you can love the invisible. And so if we ever hope to have authority in the spirit, and I'm not talking authority over people, I'm just talking about having authority spiritually. You have to learn to submit to spiritual authority. Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 10. I'm going to read through this quickly. When we, he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, Jesus entered to Capernaum, and there was a certain centurion servant that was dear to him. He was sick and ready to die. And the centurion heard about Jesus, so he calls for the elders of the Jews, and he, he beseeches them that, they would, uh, that Jesus would come and heal his servant. And so they come to Jesus, and they, they begin to declare to Jesus instantly, this man, this centurion's worthy. He's, he's outside of the covenant, but this is a worthy individual. He loves our nation. He has built for us a synagogue. And in verse 6, He goes on to say, Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house. So Jesus is closer to this man's house than this dude has ever had Jesus' manifested presence right then and there. But even with Jesus in the proximity, he sends forth other messengers to go meet Jesus instead of himself. I mean, me personally, I want to go see Jesus. I love to see him. But this man... He says, I want my messengers to go see Jesus because I'm not worthy that Jesus should enter into my house. Here's a man of authority that realizes his worth or lack thereof compared to the authority that's outside of his home. And so he says, I'm not worthy to come to you, but say the word, say in a word and my servant will be healed because I am a man under authority, having under me also soldiers. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. Do this, and he does it. And so this man understands authority. He says, Jesus, I recognize you are one of total authority. I'm one under authority, and I got people under my authority. I understand how this works. I don't need you to literally be here. I know I'm not worth it. I know that I have authority amongst people, but my authority and my worth and value is so low. I, I just know that if you would speak the word, it will be done as you have spoken. And Jesus was marveled at this man. And he says, I haven't found so great a faith, not in all the land of Israel. And those guys came back with the message from Jesus and that servant was healed. And so this is very important that if we ever hope to have authority in the spirit, we got to learn to submit to authority, to spiritual authority, to a man of God. There's got to be a yielding, not just to the spirit of God, but to the man of God that the spirit has placed in our lives. Because Jesus begins, his word is activated by obedience. His word's forever settled and written, but once we have that submission of authority, the word now goes to work. 
The word was there the entire time. But until someone in the land of Israel had revelation of submission, the word began to work without Jesus even having to be there. That's the power. As much as I like to see the presence of angels and a manifestation of Jesus bodily in this room, I want to see that day. But if I could just simply learn the revelation of yielding to God and yielding to the man of God, the word of God will manifest the word of God will go forth and we'll see it operate and function in our lives. The next principle here, and I'm trying to monitor time, not that we have anywhere to go in the blizzard. We could all build an igloo today. Is this, when God begins to bless you with some spiritual authority, he will test the spirit of your authority. God will bless you with some spiritual authority when you learn to yield to spiritual authority. But then God will test your spirit of your authority. In verse 1 in Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron speak against Moses. For those who need context, Miriam and Aaron are spiritual leaders amongst the people of God. I, I should have put this down, but I can't remember off the top of my head where the, the Scripture is. But the Bible says that it wasn't just Moses that led the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt. It said Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Those were the three spiritual, the threefold spirit cord uh, the, uh, individuals that God used to lead the people. God uses women to lead people out of Egypt. I still believe that. And so these three people, and they happen just to be siblings, which makes that even more difficult. But they begin to speak against Moses. And what's interesting to me is if it wasn't for Moses, they'd still be back in Egypt. And this is the danger of when you begin to yield to spiritual authority and you gain spiritual authority, then you think you could be surpassing spiritual authority. That's a dangerous progression that can take place. That's what happened with Satan. Satan was just, as Lucifer, he was created. He was just created. He'd be nothing without his creator. But then at some point, he was yielded to God, and God gave him authority. He was the head archangel. But see, that's the route of Satan is God, the creator, makes something of you, though there was nothing about us at all. And then all of a sudden, we walk in obedience and submission to God, and then God gives us some authority. But if we're not too careful and remain with a humble spirit and a yielded spirit, we can begin to try to overthrow that authority. And so Miriam and Aaron speak against Moses. Why? Because of his wife that he married. It's very important that we would recognize this, and this is not the main point, but when your spiritual authority, if they are married, your pastor and is married and he's got a wife, when you speak against one, you speak against the other. And the most common way I see the people allow the enemy to work through them is to work behind my back and stab my wife in the back, to speak something negative against the wife. But the two are not separate. The two are one. And you have to recognize that. Whether it, there's a personality quirk or a delegation quirk or whatever you want to call it, you have to recognize that God had a major view concerning the marriage. And when they attacked the spouse, look what happens here. Uh, as they begin to speak up in verse 2, they say, Well, half the Lord indeed spoke only by Moses. He spoke through us also. We've been using the gifts of the Spirit. We, used, we were using miracle signs and wonders. We, we're leading people as well. And then look at this. The Lord heard it. The lesson here is proximity affects Authority. This is this is one of the reasons that prior generations remain distant from the people, because the closer you get to the people, the more closely the people can see your humanity. And all of a sudden the guard goes down and it just becomes this close friendship. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I believe that there's got to be this balance. I, I don't believe going back to the, the old way in the early 1900s and prior where, where the, 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 uh, the ministry would abstain from the laity and they would be a separate class of people. You can't lead people effectively that way. Jesus was always with the people. Jesus was always moving and touching and interacting with the people. He was moved with compassion. And when the ministry gets distant from the laity, all of a sudden there's a disconnect. They can no longer even relate or be touched with the feelings of their infirmities. 
And so there's got to be a, a mingling. There's got to be an interaction. But if you are a follower of a leader's faith, you must recognize that proximity is going to reveal their humanity. Your leader's humanity will be revealed. It's going to affect the authority you look at them because you're going to see them make a mistake. Why? Because your spiritual authority is human. Your pastor is human. He is not God. He is not God manifest in the flesh. He is a fallen sinner that falls short of the glory of God. And we ought to thank God for a leader in your life that would try to be in proximity of in your life because that shows there is compassion. There is a desire to be involved with you are with where you are at. And I've sat under a couple different ministries and I've been part of under a ministry that was distant and I had nothing but reverence, respect and awe and literal, almost like fear of them. They could do no wrong. And, and I would just kind of cower around them and I could never approach them. But then I, I sat under a different leadership and all of a sudden I saw the humanity of a man of God. I saw the humanity of a pastor and they would actually share their vulnerabilities. They would share their flaws and they would walk slowly amongst the people. It's, it's two completely different styles. But when you're allowed that close, all of a sudden it can skew your view of a spiritual authority that you respect or once respected. Now, your spiritual authority may not have heard the conversation But the Bible says in verse 2, God heard it. God heard it. And that's that's what ultimately matters. You may never have the conversation you have with your spouse, with your children, or with others in the church about the pastor or the pastor's spouse, whatever negative thing you say. It may never go outside the walls of your home. It may never go outside of the little clique you have. But the Lord heard it. And that's important to always remember. And in verse 3, it goes on to say, Moses was very meek above all the men that were on the face of the earth. See, the invisible God saw this invisible man differently than the followers. The followers saw mistakes and saw problems, but God saw something else. He saw a man that was submitted and yielded to God. And we might have our perception of someone in authority, but don't ever forget God's view. God always has a view about that person in authority. And the Lord spake suddenly to Moses and Aaron, Miriam. He said, come out. And the Bible says, you know, the pillar of cloud came down. And all all the three came together. And in verse 6, God says, listen up. You know, there's there's all types of prophets and ministers out there that I talk to in particular ways. But I talk to Moses in a completely different manner than any other prophet out there that you like and any other preacher out there that you love. This man is different than any other man. This is the one I've placed to lead. And I talk to him differently than I talk to any other minister or preacher that you love and admire in your life. And he says, I will speak mouth to mouth with this individual. I will give him dark speeches in the similitude of the Lord. He will behold. And he says, weren't you afraid to speak something against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against him and he departed. And the Bible says that all of a sudden Mary had leprosy upon her, white as snow. And she was a leprous. And Miriam and Aaron cry out saying, Moses, pray for us. Do not let this sin remain on us, wherein we have done foolishly, wherein we have sinned. They didn't, they didn't go out to the masses and announce the complaint they had against Moses. They didn't go out and create a coup. They didn't go out and do anything like that like some other men prior to this moment have done. But they did something privately, but the Lord heard the private conversation. And God now publicly, at least in this group here, all of a sudden this moment occurs and happens, and the Bible says it was the conversation was sin. It was just conversation, it was just words. But the words were revealing a spirit that God does not want in the camp. The next principle here, I'm still looking at time in case you're afraid. Second Chronicles 26 is that you cannot mistake your natural authority for spiritual authority. You Everybody here has a level of of authority in the natural world. 
Everybody has a place in the secular realm. Everybody here has a place they are on intellectually. They're, we're all on different wavelengths in athleticism, in appearance. You know, some might be taller than others. Some might be not as tall as others. Some might be balder than others. But it doesn't matter where you find yourself on the ream. You can never mistake your natural authority for spiritual authority. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16, the Bible says when he was strong, this is referring to the king Uzziah, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Uzziah was an excellent leader. Uzziah was, in fact, at a point, a godly leader. But this man let his position and his ability get to his head. And he transgressed against the Lord. And he began to do that which he was not designated to do. You know, Brother Stone King says it like this. You'll never find throughout the Old Testament where anyone is both king and priest. There's only one king and priest, and that is Jesus Christ. Nobody else in the Bible has both and of the world and of the church. And so here we see that. This man, though he was king, he still was not the spiritual authority. And so he goes into the temple of God and begins to try to take the place of the priest, the man of God. And he begins to try to burn incense upon that altar. And the spiritual authority and the ministry of the place begin to cry out saying, what are you doing? You got to get out of here. You, you are sinning against God. You're not yielded to God. Just because you have natural authority, just because you have position and you might have this particular ability or skill set, that doesn't make you better than your spiritual authority. And so the Bible says that Uzziah was upset and he took that censer in his hand and he was angry with the ministry. But all of a sudden leprosy rose up to his forehead and the priest of God's house, they saw this, they recognized this. And the chief priest and the other priests, they saw the leprosy in the forehead and they began to thrust him outside of the house of God. And in verse 21, it says the king was a leper to the day of his death. How you respond to authority today can affect the rest of your days. The Bible says that day he was a leper for the rest of his days. And so here's a man. And he was, there's nothing wrong with his natural authority. God trusted him with it because he was yielded to God at a point. And you can be yielded to God and your natural authority will take you places and place you in certain settings because of that natural God-given authority that you have. But don't ever let your natural authority, don't ever let your kingship try to get you, just because you've been yielded to God in the past, and just because you have some sort of authority, don't ever let that try to rise above spiritual authority. You've heard me say this, I don't know how many times, but at any given moment, I'm the dumbest man in the room 99% of the time. And that's not some, like, humble brag. Like, I really genuinely feel like I am the dumbest person. But you can't let my stupidity cause you to usurp the authority that God has placed in my life. Now, and this is not like accusation day where I'm saying this is what I feel. We're just going through a series here. But this is something that we have to register and understand. Because I, I look out in this audience and I see, like, the most amazing people. I see the, the most gifted people. I see the most talented people. And so sometimes you could sit back and you can look at inferiority in IQ and you could begin to scratch your head and ponder and get upset and aggravated and then take it upon yourself. That which they're supposed to do, now you think you can do because you know how to work it in the business world. You know how to work it in your particular skill set. But that's not the way God's kingdom is set up. There is another way, and that is God's way. The God's way is reflected in a man that was after God's own heart, David. And David had a moment where his authority figure was completely out to destroy him. Saul and David, not going to go through it all because we have limited time somewhat. But First Samuel 26, 8 through 10, David had an opportunity. An opportunity would be the incorrect word. David had an occasion. 
Anytime you look at a sin as an opportunity, you're already getting the, the hook sunk into your, your cheek there, and you're going to get reeled in. It's an occasion. It's not an opportunity, but sin looks like an opportunity at glance. And here's this the occasion that looks like an opportunity for David to do away with the authority that's attacking him wrongfully. But David was so reverent and understood authority, and he even called this authority that was in sin. He says, this is the Lord's anointed. Can anyone stretch forth his hands against God's anointed and be guiltless? And David says, I'm not going to do it. I'll let God do it. I'll let God take care of it. And here, is, this is so important. And this is, this is this, this, this hazy area sometimes, this clouded area, because all of us, at, we're, probably, we're all either been at this place or we know someone that's been in this place or is in this place where you can look at that spiritual authority and you know it's wrong. You know it, there's, there's wrong things going on. And it can cause a spirit to rise in you what, looking for any opportunity to take down that authority. But you got to be careful when you entertain that opportunity. Because David says, this was a man after God's own heart. He says, look, I know this looks like the most ideal circumstance for me, but I'm going to let God take care of it. God is going to take care of this. And sure enough, the Lord did. You and I don't have to play God. We can let God be God. He does a lot better job at it than you and I ever could. And if David would have struck early and David would have rose early, we don't know the outcome of it all, but it would not have been God's perfect timing or God's perfect plan. And so it's important that we realize there is a better way. And so spiritual authority, here's the next lesson here, is spiritual authority can get it wrong sometimes. In 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 5, now David is king. Here's a man in authority, but he, he wants to now do something good for God. He's yielded to God, and he wants to build the house of God. And he feels bad because he's got a nice house, and God's house basically does, is non-existent. It's like a tent out there. So David says, I want to build a house for God. And Nathan, the prophet, says, he, or he sell, tells Nathan, the prophet, look, I have a nice house, but God's out in some curtains over there. I want to build him a nice house. And Nathan the spiritual authority in his life says, go do all that's in your heart. The Lord is with thee. That's, a, that's what God wants you to do, David. Go do it. But when Nathan goes back home, that night God spoke to Nathan, the preacher, the prophet, the man of God. And he says, you go tell my servant David. And, and I'm not going to read through the whole thing. But basically, is, you're not going to build a house for me. Now, you got to feel pretty stupid as a preacher. You just, you know, you, you talk to someone very powerful and influential and say, thus saith the Lord, God is with you. Go do it. You're good. And then you leave, and all of a sudden God speaks to you and says, no, I didn't say that. I don't want you to do that. I don't want him to do that. Go back and tell him the right thing. You know how embarrassing that's got to be for a preacher? Uh, I'm sorry I uh, misspoke. I, I, I had, I had, um, I had, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a bad pizza, but I can't say Little Caesars because it's so delicious. But some bad pizza in town, Godfathers, I don't know. He has some bad pizza or something, and all of a sudden now he, he can't say something. Ne- he, he, he can't uh, real, uh, fathom the idea, I misspoke, I said something wrong. But Nathan, this man of God that truly is yielded to God, was willing to say, I was wrong. I was wrong. That's an amazing man of God right there. But look at this. The even more important thing here is we recognize spiritual authority can get it wrong sometimes. But just because they get it wrong doesn't allow us to react wrong. Because now, imagine the disappointment to David. Because this was, this was his proclamation he made first anyways. I got this great idea. I really believe this is the best thing we could do. And I got, I'm going to put all the money into it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to build the nicest house for God ever. He's so excited. He, the preacher gives the blessing. And so I don't know how far David got into it, but he was already given the blessing. And I'm sure he was really just ready to go. He already, all right, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. He had everything ready and all these people ready to do the work. And all of a sudden the preacher comes back and says, I got it wrong. But now David, it was humbling for the preacher to do it. But how much more humbling now for David, who probably just gave forth all the orders to purchase all the material and get everything in motion, and he really wanted to do it in the first place. David could have reacted wrong and says, what? How dare you? Don't play with my emotions. 
Well, no, if you, if you keep going back and forth on what God spoke to you, how can I trust your authority anyways? You see, what could have happened to David, David could have got a rebellious spirit, an unyielded spirit, because pastor got it wrong one time. His spiritual authority messed up one time. Therefore, he just, I, I, I just, I can't trust anything you say now. And he can go with what makes sense to him and what he first felt inspired to do in the beginning. But David didn't rebel. And he didn't say, well, you said this already, and I already made a decision. I already booked a flight. I already bought the home. I already said yes to the employer. I already you, you. you see what could happen so easily? But see, his reaction and his response to him was okay. And ultimately, God gave David a better deal because his reaction was correct. Instead of a temporary house for God to live in, God gave David a, te- a permanent lineage for the Messiah to live through and work through, where, which would one day become Christ, the king, the ultimate king, all because he could see, look, I'm yielded to God, but this is the man of God, and the man of God is human, and he can make mistakes, but I still got to make sure I have the right spirit about me when my leadership makes a mistake. And when you have the right response and reaction, God can work through two different people in two different realms of authority, and God can create the most everlasting covenant, ongoing generational blessing that you would desire to have. Next point here is that God always uses people to proclaim salvation. Um, serving the group here, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but there are some points you can write down if you like, Romans 10, 13 through 17. And we know the phrase, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it goes on to say in verse 14, they can't call on him if they haven't believed in him, and they can't believe in him if they haven't heard, and they cannot hear without a preacher. A preacher. they got to hear a preacher. And verse 15 says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. You may not like the way they walk, and you may not like the, the strides in which they take and in which you've got to follow their stride, you've got to follow their run, you've got to follow their, their pace that they're keeping, but you've got you to recognize these feet are beautiful. They are, be, they are leading me somewhere. They are leading me into paths of righteousness. They're leading me into salvation. And so this is what's important to recognize as you go on to read this in verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, is that if you have an authority issue, then you have a salvation issue. Because God says, you want to call on my name for salvation? You want this salvation? It's going to come through a preacher. And that preacher is going to preach the word to you. And if you have a problem with a man being a spiritual authority with the spiritual message, your problem with spiritual authority, your authority issue, will be your salvation issue at the end. And this is why God, God set it up that way. God, that's the first thing that, you know, we got to get to. We got to get to this salvation thing, and we're trying to lead. But if you ever start unraveling and undoing, you know, this, this way that God has structured it, everything begins to fall apart, and your salvation can fall apart because now you're not yielded to God like you thought you were because you're not yielded to the man of God, the feet that are leading you and bringing you the gospel of peace. It goes on to say in Acts 9, 6, and here's the Apostle Paul. He's not the Apostle Paul yet. He's Saul, the persecutor. And he's talking to Jesus audibly. It's a pretty big deal. I never had an audible conversation, at least hearing him audibly. I've definitely felt like I've near heard him audibly, and he hears me audibly. But he asked Jesus, what will you have me to do? And that's, that's us being yielded to God. God, what do you want me to do? That's easy. Jesus is talking. What do you want? I'll do anything you want, Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to go to a man, and he'll tell you what to do. Think about that. It's a lot of, I'm yielded to you, God. I'll do anything you want, God. I, I, I'm submitted to you, God. I'll give you everything. And God says, okay, go to that man, and he'll tell you what to do. And this is a person, a complete stranger to him. But God says, that's going to be your spiritual authority. That's who's going to speak into your life. And the Bible says, what's interesting here in verse 7, it says, he heard a voice, but he saw no man. And it goes on to say, that he saw no man. And then as now God speaks to Ananias in verse 14, uh, as he's speaking to him, uh, Ananias replies to God, I, I, I heard about Saul. He has authority. 
So Paul has a level of authority, and he can bind people with that authority and all this power that he has. But all of a sudden, Jesus tells Ananias, he says, you go. I've chosen that man. I'm going to use that man. He's going to do great things. He's going to suffer for me. And in verse 17, Ananias went and he obeyed God. He's yielded to God as well. And when they enter into the house, now Saul and Ananias meet. And the Bible says, uh, uh, he says, Jesus, that appeared to you in the way that you came, sent me that your sight might, uh, that you might receive your sight. See, Saul heard the voice, but he never saw He never saw God. He never saw any of that. And so now the Bible says that when he's talking with Ananias, Ananias says, Jesus has set this appointment. We're both yielded to him, but now he's joined us together. And I am here to pray that you are filled with the Holy Ghost and that you receive your sight. And he prayed for him, and immediately he received his sight. The first thing that he saw was his spiritual authority. He yielded to God, but when he yielded to God, God connected to him and made sure that he would see spiritual authority. It's important, and you can hear from Jesus all you want, but Jesus, for your salvation and for your soul and for your proving and testing ground, will lead you to a man of God that is to lead you. And when you find yourself there, the best thing you can do is submit and yield and scales will come off your eyes and you will see clearer than you've ever seen and you will be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's interesting. Both heard from God, both yielded to God, both submitted to God, but one was sent to yield to a man. The other was the spiritual authority the man had to yield to. We all will be presented these two tests. And if you can pass the first test of yielding to God and the second test of yielding to man, then you'll be placed later down the road where somebody's going to have to yield to your words, your spiritual authority. Because the day's going to come. And that was the pathway God chose, yielding to God, yielding to man. And this man that he yielded to was yielded to God. And you better believe at some point Ananias was yielded to a man of God. And so now he's able to, to, to do for him, for Saul, what someone did for him. And that's what, what God wants us to do is have that cycle, that disciple and be a disciple and make a disciple. If we have this spiritual authority down, God can work in us. It happens in Acts chapter 10 as well with Cornelius. But for the sake of time, I'm not going to read through that. I want to go to the closing portion of Scripture here today. And um, then we could hopefully see if we could shovel our way outside of here. But if you want to write down the verses from concerning Cornelius, they're Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 6. And then uh, Acts chapter 11, 12 through 15. The last portion of Scripture in Second Chronicles 20, and we'll wrap it up. I've been going almost an hour. Verses 14 through 22. And we've read from this portion of Scripture in all three elements through this series. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benai, the son of Jael, the son of Mathaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And the Bible Go, oh, I'm, I'm reading, yeah, verse uh, 14. So verse 19, let me turn there with you. The Bible says, The Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And in verse 20, it says, They rose early in the morning, went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah. You inhabitants of Jerusalem. It's very important to see that phrase, hear me, listen, hearken, do. And he says in verse 20, believe in the Lord your God. There's the yielding to God. So shall ye be established. Believe his prophets. So shall you prosper. Those two worlds collide right there in the same portion of Scripture that we've read through every element of why. And he says, believe 
in the Lord your God. Yield to him and he'll establish you. But you got to believe the ministry. you got to believe that man of God in your life if you're ever going to prosper what has been established. A lot of people get established. I've met people that have got revelation of truth and all that stuff really without any pastoral figure in their life. But God ultimately led them to somebody. And whatever God establishes in your life is not a guarantee that it's going to prosper unless you yield to the man of God. Then what has been established can prosper. And in verse 21, it says, When he consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out to that they went out before the army and they praised the Lord for his mercy endured forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which came against Judah, and they were smitten. We wrap up and we conclude this series on why. Why worship? Why holiness? Why yield? God will test our yielding through a man. And if you can't submit to what you see, how can we ever submit to what we cannot see? We started this series, Why? But really, it all begins with why. What I mean by that is the letter Y, yield. It all hinges. It all begins. When we read this story in 2 Chronicles 20, and I I literally had no idea how God was going to lead me Throughout this series, all I simply saw was the image, the word that God gave me. And as I've read through this and studied through this and went through scriptures, God began to reveal to me just how interwoven and interconnected these three things are. Worship, holiness, yielding. It's why we preach them. It's why we teach them. It's why we have to have them. It all begins with yielding. When you look at this story in 2 Chronicles 20, somebody had to stand up, and somebody had to give direction. Somebody had to give proclamation. But that somebody first was yielded to God. And that person began to speak what God said to people. And the rest of those people, they they can go out and worship. They can go out and make noise all they want, but that's not a guarantee of nothing. Because the children of Israel made that mistake back in the days of Eli and, and was it Hophni and Phinehas, or if I remember names correctly, that they ran out and they shouted and they worshiped. They screamed at the top of their lungs and the earth literally shook and trembled. But they got whooped and they went into retreat and they lost the ark of God. It's not just about worship. It's not just about that. It's about worshiping the beauty of holiness. But you can't worship the beauty of holiness if you're not yielded to God. And if you're not yielded to God, you'll never be yielded to man. Being yielded to man will show where you're at in that yielding and submission to God. And so when you yield to God, that is when activated comes the holiness process because when we yield to God that is the only way to yield to him is repentance is asking God for forgiveness it is a change of direction and holiness is the direction you yield to God saying God I'm sorry God I'm a sinner God I'm wicked forgive me and God now will work with that repented heart that is yielded to him and sets them on a new direction and when you got that direction and you're walking in the beauty of holiness, your worship is completely different than any other person's worship out there. There's all kinds of worship. There's all forms of worship. There's all types of worship. But there's only one true worship. It is someone that is yielded to God and yielded to the ministry and is walking the direction of holiness. And when they worship in the beauty of holiness, God sends forth ambushments and the victory is a guarantee. God can give victory to yielded vessels. God can give victory to a holy people yielded to a holy God, following a holy man of God that begin to worship the beauty of holiness. But all of that came from the process of yielding. Let's stand together. Because nobody at this moment went out worshiping. Nobody went out there praising. Nobody came up with the idea 
But God began to work upon a man of God that was yielded to God. And he began to give the direction. Because when he changed his direction, he now had a right direction to give to people. And when those people followed that direction, God began to give the victory. I believe that God has nothing but victory for this church. This church is going to win. It is going to prevail. It is going to prosper. But it's going to be if we're yielded to God and if we're yielded to the man of God. And, you know, one can argue, well, you know, easy for you to preach this, you know, because you're like pretty much, you know, trying to like defend yourself or something. No, actually, it's quite awkward and uncomfortable. It's been a very awkward uh, sermon to preach the entire time. But I am not preaching theory. I'm I'm preaching experience, a life that I have followed serving the Lord. And I'm telling you, it has not let me down. It has not disappointed me. It has thoroughly helped me. And it will only help us because God's not going to send forth ambushments and give us victory because we're in rebellion. He's going to give us victory because we're yielded, because we're submitted. And I want, I, I know that we can win. Because it's already promised. It's already been prophesied. It's been foretold. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But does the church have the why answered? Does the church have the why in place? And if we have why in place, we don't have to question if we're going to win. We're going to win. Can we lift our hands together right now? I wonder if we can just gather around this altar for a few moments. And can we just not just yield to God, but make up in our hearts and our minds and our spirit and our soul that I'm going to be yielded to the man of God in my life. That's not deifying humans, as we already talked about and mentioned here today, that people make mistakes, people backslide, leaders backslide. You find it in the Bible. And anytime leadership goes crazy and turns cultish or dictator-like, then, you know, that's, that's craziness. But I'm talking about following as long as we're in the faith, following that spiritual authority in your life. It will only cause the blessings of God to be upon your marriage. It will bring the blessings of God upon your home. It will bring the blessings of God upon your children. It will bring the blessings of God for generations to come. And the gates of hell will not prevail against this church because this church is yielded to God. This church is yielded to spiritual authority. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray you help us, God. Lord, as you have given us revelation of why throughout these past eight weeks or so, Lord, I believe, God, that we are going to move into another realm, into a new dimension. God. I believe, God, we are ready for the next phase of this church. I believe, God, we are ready for the next step, the next tier that you have for this church in this region, in this area. In the name of the Lord Jesus.